0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another morning. Your goodness to us. God, we love to sing those songs. I love to stop singing those songs and hear the church singing loudly those songs. Father, we do believe in you. You've revealed your truth to us and changed our lives. And so, Father, we're here again this morning wanting that to be strengthened. Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, that we would be believers. Please do that now through your Holy Spirit's power in our hearts and minds from the truth in Mark chapter 5. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You would turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 5. If you didn't bring one, you can use the Pew Bible there in front of you, the Black Bibles. We're on page 923 in the Pew Bible, Mark chapter 5, picking up right where we left off. Before I get started, I want to say a big thank you to a lot of people in our church. This was a really, really, really busy week in the life of our church, and, and uh, we had a lot of people who worked hard and served well and, and volunteered, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. You know, a lot of times pastors get credit for a lot of things, but the truth is pastor doesn't do half as much as what the congregation as a whole does. This week we had three different meals here at church. We had uh, a bereavement meal for a family after a funeral that was about 70 plus people. Uh, the same day, just a few hours later, we had our Wednesday night church dinner, which was 70 plus people. And then on Friday, we had the entire football team from the high school here, which again was 70 plus people. You're talking over 200 people that our church fed completely on uh, volunteers being here serving. That's a lot of food, a lot of plates, a lot of dishes to wash, a lot of tables to wipe down, a lot of floors to sweep, a lot going on. And... Uh, and, and some of you all just serve so much. Nobody ever knows. Nobody ever recognizes. You don't ever get credit for it. But I want you to know that, that as the pastor, I'm very thankful. Uh, and as, as representing the church, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for you all. Right? Somebody in the community may hear that, man, they really helped us out during our funeral. Or, or they're feeding the football team. The church may get that recognition or credit. But you people who are working hard, thank you. Thank you very much. With that said... A lot more opportunities coming up, we're going to be doing it a lot more, okay? And if you'd like to give an hour or two just in the middle of the week to come up here and serve some food or wash some dishes, that's it. Take the trash out. We could use it. The more, the merrier, really. And uh, so if you're interested, just, just let us know. Last week in Mark chapter 5, we had the passage where Jesus heals the man with a demon, And it ended by Jesus telling him, you can't come with me, you need to go out. And you need to go back to your family and friends, you need to tell them all that the Lord has done for you, and you need to tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you. Jesus sent this man who had been totally changed, remember I I talked a lot about how he was now clothed and calm and in his right mind, and everybody was taken back by that. So he had a testimony, and his testimony was that Jesus had changed his life. And I ended that sermon by pointing out, your your testimony is what the Lord has done for you. Your testimony is how the Lord has had mercy on you. Your testimony is not so much what you've done and your whole life story and, and all of that. Well, today I want to go with that even more. We have two stories inside of one about Jesus changing a life. And I want you thinking... That here is ultimately every testimony, Jesus has changed my life. And some people may have horror stories in the past, and some people's lives may not have any real drama in the past. But the, what makes a testimony good, what makes us have a Christian witness, is that Jesus has done something. Everybody in the room has a story, whether you know God or not. And our stories are fascinating, and I'd love to hear about it someday. But everybody in the room has a story. This is more, though, than a group of people who have a story. This is a gathering of people who have a story about what Jesus is doing in our lives. So we want to make sure we get that today, that at the, at the very heart of who we are and, and what our church is and what our testimony is, is that Jesus changes people. On Friday, we fed the football team and I showed them a little seven-minute YouTube video of a man who has one of the most unbelievable testimonies I've ever heard. But the, the heart of his story is how much Jesus had changed his life, how far he had come, how different he is now than what he used to be. He is completely different, and that was it. And I went on to tell those high school football players that whether you believe it or not, God has the power to change your life. And that Jesus died on the cross and gave his blood and life for your sins, that whoever would come to him and believe and turn from their sins, God will change their life. We see this great power in Jesus doing this in two different people today. Again, two stories in one. You have Jairus, who is a ruler, and his daughter. And then you have this lady who has a disease, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. Two different stories inside of one. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 5, beginning of verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say who touched me he looked around to see who had done it but the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease while he was still speaking there came from the rulers house some who said your daughter is dead Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? child is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and he went in where the child was taking her by the hand he said to her talitha kumi which means little girl i say to you arise and immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And told them to give her something to eat. Jesus is God. God can do whatever he wants to do. There are absolutely no restraints on God almighty Our God is in the heavens he does whatever he pleases There is no purpose of man that can stop him He did create all that was created by the power of his word He is truly all powerful And the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Jesus Christ is God Almighty in the flesh. So as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and hear the stories about Jesus, we are both fascinated and taken back by God in the flesh. God interacting with people. He's dealing with people, and we see this here today. Two miraculous stories, two miracles, two different types of healing. From these two stories, I want to give you three basic life biblical points. Number one, people need God's help. People need God's help. Number two, Without God, all other efforts of help are ultimately worthless. Without God, all other efforts of help are ultimately worthless. And number three, as our helper, Jesus changes lives. As our helper, Jesus changes lives. Number one, people need God's help. You probably know this. I know that you know somebody in life who you think they need God's help. But what I want to convince you of today and for you to see in God's word is that everybody needs God's help. It may look differently how they need God's help, but everybody needs God's help. I know you know people who need God's help with their anger problems. And I know you know people that need God's help with their marriages. And I know you know people who need God's help with their sicknesses. And I know you know people that need God's help with this and with that and so on and so on. But I want you to come to the understanding today that everybody needs God's help. There are people that are really broken down and they have nowhere to look except God Himself. And there you have it, stating the obvious. People need God's help. But I want you to also be convinced today that people who seem to be doing really well, perhaps they had a really good mother who taught them how to do life right, or perhaps the blessings of God are all over them, maybe they are always healthy, wealthy, and wise, they also need God's help. And many of us can look around and say, physically, in my day-to-day life, I need God's help. But in the rare case that you know somebody who life always goes well for them, right, They have it easy and good. I want you to be convinced that in God's big picture, taking taking into consideration sin and the coming judgment, that they need God's help as well. That to miss the point that life is about God and for God's glory is to be wrong, and we need help to see this. That to misunderstand our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness is to be wrong. And we need God's help to see this. So whether we're talking about physical needs like, man, I just need God to help me get a job. Or whether we're talking about something where you don't think you need God at all. You need God to have your sins forgiven. You need God to overcome your pride. You need God to get you to heaven. Everybody needs God's help. Let's look here at the passage. First of all, we have Jairus. He's a ruler. He's a ruler of the synagogue. This is a Jewish man whose life is very much so devoted to God, he would think, and devoted to living a good life and living obediently and doing the right thing for certain, if you will. This man knew God's word. He knew the Ten Commandments. He he labored to obey them. He was a ruler in the synagogue. His name was Jairus. And yet now he has come to a position in life that he can't control. There are a lot of things he can control. He's able to work hard and make a living. He's able to pay the bills and make sure that anytime his kid needed new shoes, he could just go out and buy them. They were never really hungry. They were always able to put food on the table. And even if he wanted to, he could take them out nice to a, to a restaurant. Jairus had this sort of life. But now Jairus has found himself in a position where he cannot do it. He can't fix it. And I want you guys to know and to admit here today that every one of us at times will find ourselves in a position where we are absolutely helpless and we think, I need God's help. Now, you may be so stubborn and so arrogant and so proud that you'll never break down and admit that, but you need to know that that's the case. Everybody needs God's help and we see here this man, Jairus, being in that, that position so much so that he goes and finds Jesus, verse 22, and seeing him, falls down at his feet and implores him earnestly, and he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Do you realize here today that you may not think about death Death is a real thing coming for every one of us. And listen to me, there is nothing, nothing you can do to stop it. You can't stop when God says your time has come, regardless of what your age is. In this case, this is Jairus's 12-year-old daughter. Jairus' own words himself is my little daughter. I've got two little daughters, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And literally, my heart is moved to emotion every single day. I can't leave the house without Liliana crying, asking for me to pick her up, and it melts my heart. No matter what time I get home in the day, or seriously, no matter what time I get home in the day, the kids are looking out the window waiting for me. Whether it be four or five or six or seven, no matter what time of the day it is, they're there waiting. There's such love that flows between parents, and you want the uh, parent and children, and you so want the best for them. You desire for the best for them, and Jairus feels this. And now he's in a position where his 12 year old girl is dying, and there's nothing he can do. Nothing. When there's nothing you can do, you need to know well enough that God can help you. To not know that is for you to be proud, and for you to be arrogant, and for you to be foolish. People need God's help. Jairus here needed God's help. Let's go on to the other situation, the lady. This lady has been suffering. Now, she's not on the brink of death. And and somehow, we don't know why this is. Some people are really a long way from dying, but they feel like dying. Some people, life may be going well, and they're about to die, and they don't even realize it. But some people are not about to die, and they're just suffering. For 12 years, this lady has had a disease. This lady's been suffering with a discharge of blood for as long as Jairus' daughter's been alive. Some of you all may have a disease that you've been battling for a long time. Some of you know some people. All you've got to do is go to a prayer meeting one time and watch our prayer sheet fill up with request after request after request of people that we know who are suffering with cancer. Every single time, that and that. Everybody in the room knows somebody who's suffering with cancer. This lady has been suffering with this disease for a long time. She needed God's help and she knew that. She was miserable in it. It was ruining her life. She was getting worse. People need God's help. This week I've heard some crazy stories I saw that picture on the internet of that little boy that was in the bombing that broke my heart I've heard the stories of the flooding in Louisiana and the many many people who are suffering through that I heard the story I'm sure you heard of the little girl who was taken up into by the police did you hear about that one when the police officer asked her her name she said that her name was idiot did I hear that story this week At first they thought that she was wrong, but they could not get a name out of her. She had only been called idiot by her father for so long that she told the police as a four-year-old that her name was Idiot. Now the world is full of all sorts of issues and hurts and horror stories like that. I hope every one of those are causing you to realize people need God. People need God's help. But I hope that God is moving you to recognize that really whatever the situation is, people need God's help. There's a fellow in our church now who come to us a while back and it was a little bit differently. His life is going excellent. All is going well. His words to me with tears in his eyes are that I don't know why God is being so good to me. I'm happily married, I love my child, and God has given me a good job, and then he gave me another job on top of that job, and my jobs are going better than I could imagine, the new job he gave me is so happy and so much easier, and I'm making more money than I need, and he's just going on and on and on about how great life is, and I wondered why he'd come to me, and he said, I don't deserve any of this, and so I know I need to get my life focused on Jesus. I cannot sit here and have a good life full of all these blessings and act like I earned it. He came to God, came to Jesus, came to church knowing that he needed God's help when everything was going good for him, but he recognized he should not take it and just receive it and rest in it. And I want you to hear today that we all need God's help. Jairus needed it. Jairus' daughter needed it. This lady with a disease needed it. And I want you to know that you need it. Me and Val are right in the thick of raising children. And it's getting very real that raising children is a huge responsibility. JJ will turn nine in just a few months, he'll be driving in about seven years. He'll go off to college in about eight years. That's coming quick, isn't it? He's closer to driving than he is from birth. He's closer to college than he is from birth. Imagine that. wonder what he's going to be like. wonder what type of man he'll be. wonder if he'll know how to keep a job and love his wife. I know if he'll, wonder if he'll ruin his life. All of that leads me to say, man, I need God's help in being a dad. If you have children, you need God's help in being a dad. You need God's help in being a parent and being a grandparent. I want to paint the picture for you how hard life is and how wrong it is for us to not recognize that we need God's help. People need God's help. In understanding, though, your need for God's help, you need to recognize that trying to help yourself without God is ultimately worthless. And this is my second point. These people were desperate for God. You see this in a similar reaction. Verse 22, Jairus comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus and implores him. In verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. So she knew that Jesus was there and there was a desperation in her heart. You move over to verse 33 and it says, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. Their their need for the help of God, their need for God's help, their, their desperate position had led them to the place to go to the one who only could help them. And that's what we want. But for so many people, that is the thing. They know that they need help. And they'll go to every single option that there is. But going to God for help is the thing that they will not do. And I want you to see that seeking help in every single other direction is ultimately worthless. By all means, do what you can to help yourself by all means go to any place that gives help just do not forget or neglect that God ultimately is our helper to quote the Psalms without God your efforts at help are worthless with Jairus they came and they thought that Even this effort at help to get God to come, to get Jesus to come, would have healed her. But, because they still lacked some faith, in the situation where she has already passed away, look with me now at verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? They had lost faith at that perspective. For a while, they thought if Jesus could get there, then he will heal her, and maybe everything would be okay. But she now had already passed away, and so let's leave Jesus alone. Their idea of God being able to help us was was not a full biblical help. Their idea of Jesus being able to fix that situation is not one who really embraced Jesus for all he he is and for all he can do do jairus's situation shows that they did not understand fully how god could help them but then you look at the lady with the discharge this had been going on for 12 years and if you can only imagine how many doctor's appointments you go through in 12 years just think about yourself how often you go to the doctor think about how many times you've been to the hospital how many surgeries you've had and how many medicines you have to take for us people that don't have to take medicines yet, we find it humorous how the box pills that y'all have. I used to laugh at my grandparents because she's got the 30-day the box thing where every day she's got her pills in there. and got to make sure she takes the right one. And believe me, I know y'all know all about that. This lady had been to the doctors, it says. Look at verse 26. She had suffered much under the doctors. Are you suffering under the doctors' advice? She had spent all that she had. Are you broke? Are you give out? Has your insurance maxed itself out and no money left so you don't know what to do? That's this lady. This is her position. She's out of money and she's out of doctor's advice. Nothing's looking up for her. Look what it says next, that she was no better. Matter of fact, the Bible says that she rather grew worse. Folks, do you realize that insurance is good and a big savings account is good and doctors are helpful? I hope you have all three of those. But if you have all three of those and they're trying to make you better and yet you don't want God's help, you are in a worthless position. If you think that just medicines and money are going to fix things, you're in a bad position. This lady was coming to know this. Without God, all other efforts of help are ultimately worthless. Jairus and company knew, came to know, that the only hope was God. The lady with the blood came to know that her only hope was God. Verse 26, we see that she had tried everything and she was no better. In just a few chapters, when we get to Mark chapter 8, we're going to see in verses 35 and 36, if you'd like to turn there. Just turn over a couple pages. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Again, I'm wanting you to see how ultimately worthless it is for you to try to help yourself without God. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Have you gained that perspective of Christ as your helper? Have you committed your life to every single situation in life that is either worrisome or difficult and said, God, help me? Have you turned to God in prayer and desperation and said, God, I need help with this? And have you sought out what God says as His answer to help? Has your family been through some difficulty raising a child? Are your children troublesome? Is your marriage tough? Is your job situation, is your financial situation bothering you? Have you humbled yourself before God and said, God, help me? God, how do you expect me to raise a child? What is your way? How do you expect me to be strong in my marriage? God, what is your way? Have you said to God, God, I'm failing at this? God, my way is not working? Have you ever really said, God, help me? Number one, people need God's help. Number two, without God, all efforts of help are ultimately worthless. What happened to Jairus' daughter? She died. What happened to the lady? She never stopped bleeding. Twelve years. That is so long. That's a long time. If this started when she was 30, she's now 42. There's a big difference between 30 and 42. If this started when she was 48, she's now 60. There's a huge difference between 48 and 60. This lady's life, a huge portion of her life, has spent suffering under a, Z, uh, under a disease that her money and her medicines and her doctors that nothing could fix. She was suffering. And she was learning through 12 years of suffering that she needed God and she needed God's help. I want to ask you here today, do you know that about yourself? But then I come to the last point that Jesus changes lives. When people come to realize that They need God's help regardless of what type of help they need, that they need God's help. And they finally turn to Jesus and bow their hearts and bow their knees and confess their sins and ask for the mercy of God and for the forgiveness of God. To God Almighty, He hears our cries. Notice in this passage... That the woman is healed, and healed immediately. She felt in herself, verse 29, that the flow of blood dried up, and she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. She didn't not only recognize that the blood had stopped, like it could start back, but she felt in her body that the disease was gone. This was a miracle healing from Jesus, which he can do. Jesus is about to raise the girl up, and she's about to be alive, too. But I want to point out to you that the, that the miracle here was not brought on simply by God wanting to do it, which he does do that sometimes. And it was not brought on simply by her touching him. The Bible makes that clear. The very argument from the disciples when Jesus is like, hey, somebody touched me. The disciples are like, come on, dude. There's people everywhere. About 100 people have probably touched you. What are you talking about? Jesus says, no, I felt power go out of me. And that's where we see that what actually happened is that she believed in the power of God. As we just sang, she believed in the name of the Lord Jesus and who he was and what he's able to do, his authority and his power. She believed in it. Perhaps she had heard about the storm where the big, bold, strong fishermen were scared to death. And Jesus, with great calmness, just says, stop, you storm, and it stops. Perhaps she had heard on just the other side of the sea where the 200 pigs had been thrown into the the ocean by a demon because Jesus just spoke to the demons, the numerous demons named Legion, and said, get out of here, and they went. Perhaps she had known that this man who could break chains and could not be contained, this man that scared everybody that liked to live in the cemetery among dead people, perhaps she had seen that now he is a model citizen. He's back at home hanging out with his family, telling about the mercy of God. Perhaps she had heard. Whatever it is, she knew. Look what it says. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This lady knew that Jesus could change her life. This lady knew that helping herself was not helping herself. And this lady knew that she needed God to help her. And so she believed that he could, and she did a simple measure of just getting to him. And oh, did he help her. Yes, he did. Jesus changes lives. In the situation with Jairus, they are uh, down and out, and somebody's come and said, she's dead now, let's leave him alone. But verse 36, Jesus, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. Jesus, like he does time and time again, takes huge issues and downplays them. You might recall John chapter 11 of, of Lazarus, similar, right, Lazarus is dead. Except in this situation, it says that as soon as they asked him to come, Jesus came. That's what it says in verse 24, and he went with him. They still get there late. He's already, she's already dead. But in, in, in John chapter 11, they send for Jesus to come to Lazarus, and Jesus takes his time, almost showing us that he was okay with Lazarus going ahead and dying. But when Lazarus gets there, they're upset and said, Jesus, if you'd have got here in time, you would have, you would have healed our brother. And Jesus says, It's all right. What do you mean it's all right? Jesus says, well, he's going to live. Well, maybe he's going to live again someday down the road in heaven or whatnot, but we wanted him to live here today, Jesus. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he lives. You're never really dead for long if you know Christ. To die is gain, Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1. It would be better for Paul to die because he'd go ahead and be in heaven. What a blessing death is to those who know Jesus. What a blessing death is. And so Jesus here acts like it's not a big deal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Your daughter, your 12-year-old daughter is home, dying in bed in all desperation and desiring God's help. You run and find Jesus. You fall down at his feet. You implore him to come. She's about to die. And while y'all are walking back that way, he does this, heals the lady. You're still walking in that direction. And here comes your buddy running and says, Jairus, man, I hate to tell you. Got bad news. She's gone. She's already died. You've gotten a phone call before to tell you somebody's passed away? I don't know if it was a child. How heavy must that be? And yet Jesus' response, as soon as Jairus hears it, Jesus' response is, don't fear, only believe. Trust me. Your worst situation that you feel like you need God's help most should be met with a strong, passionate, spirit-driven faith in Christ. And I realize that for many of you all, life right now is ugly and hard. I realize that there are tears and there are hurts and there are struggles and there are so many situations where you said, life is not going the way I want it to go. You need God's help. And I encourage you to hear now the words of Jesus to Jairus, whose situation, I don't know if it's worse than yours, but is a pretty bad one. His daughter just died. Jesus says, Don't fear, only believe. And then it goes into Jesus, gathers up his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. People are laughing at him because Jesus is acting like it's not that big of a deal. She's only sleeping. Let's go in there and see her. He gets the father and mother. He doesn't let any of the laughing skeptics who don't believe come in. This is not for them Peter James and John and Jesus and the mother and the father they go in and Jesus treats her like he would treat her if nothing had happened church we just sang that we believe in the resurrection when Christ comes again would you believe with everything that is in you by the power of the spirit that God is in control that this is his world that heaven is coming and if you will trust with all the power of God in you you are safe with him forever and going to be in heaven may that be your heart's cry and passion Desire that Jesus has you because Jesus made sure Jairus knew she's okay. And you may be very desperate for help right now, but if you will cast yourself upon Jesus, you can know this you're okay too. So Jesus raised Jairus' daughter up. He says to her, to which means, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, and everybody else was amazed. Jesus raised her up. The other woman, Jesus healed her, bleeding and disease. Mark is doing something outstanding here, for those of y'all that have been here. Mark has now shown us that Jesus, the mighty Son of God, is indeed Lord. He is Lord over nature. He calmed the storm. He is Lord over demons. He sent them out. He is Lord over illness and disease. This lady has been healed. And listen to this, folks. He is indeed Lord over death. And when it comes time for you to die, and I try to say this at every funeral, may you know where you're going. And may you know whose you are. And may you be ready for it. As the good old country song says, may your heart be able to say, don't cry for me down here. Because I'm where I want to be. I'm with who I want to be with. I'm with my Father in heaven. But if you're so prideful to recognize that you need God's help, then you may truly not understand what it means to cry out to Him and to believe. Now, we talk about him being Lord over nature, demons, illness, and death. And you may not care about him being Lord over nature. You may not think that Lord over demons applies to you. Illness may come or go. For some of you, it may be real. But I'm telling you that the issue of death is coming quickly for every single one of us. You better be ready for it. the reason why he's Lord over death is because he's already been there. He knows what death is like. He knows what a painful, suffering death is like. He knows what a undeserved death is like, and he also knows, listen to me, what a wrathful, punishment, rightful death is like when God killed his son. Jesus knows all about death he died on the cross so that you would understand he is lord whether it be your illness whether it be the demons or whether it be death that you're dealing with death that your family's dealing with or death that is coming for you any day now when you become a pastor you realize that funerals happen and they're just going to keep coming I've done three funerals here in just the last couple days, and I had somebody say, I'm praying you have no funerals this week. Well, guess what? They called Saturday morning and asked me to do a funeral. Somebody close to here. Death is real. Listen here, church, I'm going to do your funeral someday soon. May you know that Jesus will get you through it. May you be ready for it. Can you imagine what it was like in Jairus' house? Look at verse 42. Immediately the girl got up, began walking. They were immediately overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus is so awesome at this. He's so Lord that this isn't like a huge party for him. It is a huge party. This is a celebration, but for him it's like, all right, back to life, get her something to eat. We don't know why he said get her something to eat. It's so puzzling, it's hard to make sense of it. But here's what I want you to know. Imagine Jairus' house that day. Ryle speaking about this says let us think for a moment how wonderful was the change which took place in that house from weeping to rejoicing from mourning to congratulation from death to life how great and marvelous must have been this transition they only can tell that who have seen death face to face and had the light of their households quenched and felt the iron entering into their own souls they and only they can conceive what the family of Jairus must have felt when they saw their beloved one given back one more into their bosom by the power of Christ. There must have been a happy family gathering that night. Yes. And what was the key? Jesus had gotten into it. Jesus had changed their lives. As I was preparing for these sermons, uh, for this message, these two stories, uh, thinking so much about people need God's help. And without God's help, there, our efforts are ultimately worthless and that Jesus changes lives. I started to think that I know that your response is, yes, he changes lives, but he's never healed me of my disease and he's never brought my dead kid back to life. And I really got to thinking and praying about that and here's what I came to. I, and I hope you, do not look at these stories and wonder why I've never seen these things happen. And I mean this with all sincerity. I look at these stories and my heart rejoices because this same thing has what's happened inside of me. My heart has been healed. My life has been changed. My dead soul now lives. I love God. And what has happened to Jairus' daughter has happened inside of me. And what has happened to the lady with the disease is what has happened inside of me. I've never had the disease and I've never died yet. But God has changed my life and made someone dead in their sins alive to Christ. I used to not be this way. And that's my testimony. What the Lord has done for me and how he has had mercy upon me like he told him. Do you understand the power of God that Jesus changes lives? With all honesty and a tough question for you to deal with, has he changed yours or do you just go to church? Has he changed yours or you just simply believe but there's no power to it? Has God changed your life? Have you recognized all the ways that you need him and need his help? We have here Jairus' life completely changed because God changed his daughter's life. In that passage, he said, believe. We have here a lady with a disease, and Jesus has changed her life. Even after the fact, she comes in fear, trembling, falls down before him and tells him the whole truth. Jesus calls her daughter and he says to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. Don't miss in this passage the call from Jesus to both situations, both situations that desperately need help, the need for you to be a believer in Christ. This passage isn't to tell you only that God will fix your problems. This passage is to help you see in a bigger way that whatever your need for help is, Jesus is the answer. And ultimately, we're going to stand before Him one day and we will answer to Him. And may you trust in His mercy. May it be that your heart has been changed to love Jesus, the Savior. As I was thinking about faith has made you well, as he said to her. Jesus changes a life and the testimony that we have. I started thinking about many of you all and how many of your lives have been changed. And as pastor, I get to recognize that y'all are just not what you used to be. Many of you are different. Now, sadly, and to much burden of your pastor, some of y'all are still the same old ordinary person. But I'm praying about it but many of you have been changed really truly changed that offertory prayer just a few minutes ago and I did not ask Ray if I could tell this about him but Ray Harris comes up here and he just prays and he can't stop praying and I love hearing Ray pray I know some of y'all may be thinking Man, he's praying a long time wish he'd stop and get on to church service I, I don't want Ray to stop praying y'all it wasn't even a year ago where Ray couldn't pray that man that prayed for the offering couldn't pray. We had to meet together and him talk to me about how he couldn't pray. There's no way he could pray up here. Y'all, it wasn't just a few years ago that Ray would not have given God the glory. Ray's got cancer now and he's dying from it. That prayed. Ray goes to his treatments, gets chemo and does all that. Most people don't know about it. And Ray... Uh, Happy to go in there and talk to those nurses and doctors. Ray said he's always telling them about how Jesus is his foundation. He doesn't matter what happens to him. He's okay with it. They're taken back at how hopeful and happy and positive Ray is, even though medically speaking, his life is pretty bleak. Ray's happy, all right. Just recently, Ray came to me and he said, "Can, Can you give me about 15 minutes? I want to talk. He said, I go there to the hospital and see all these cancer patients that are in there, and it's, it's just so depressing, and most of them don't have any hope at all, as y'all know. If you're told you're about to die and that's not good news to you, then you're not going to be happy about it. And Ray recognizes that. Ray said, do y'all have any type of programs where people come in here and try to help them, counsel them, encourage them through dying of cancer? They said, yeah, we, we do. We have a lot of, we got some people that come in here and, they started naming some, and Ray said, do any of them have cancer? He said, no. Ray says in his mind, he, he wasn't being rude to them at all. Ray, I don't think Ray can be rude to anybody. He wasn't being rude at all, but Ray said he thought to himself, it's really hard for somebody without cancer to speak anything encouraging to somebody with cancer. That's true. That's true. Wait till somebody calls you and says that they're, they're dying of a disease and watch how you're at a loss for words. you probably put your foot in your mouth saying something that doesn't help. Ray says, do you think I could come, one who's dying of cancer, and start talking to them? They say, yeah, maybe. So Ray's talking to them about now going back as a ministry, so to speak, to cancer patients who are dying because they don't have hope and he wants to tell them, Ray's words to me were: "Even though this cancer is killing me, I have peace because I know Jesus, and I want to tell them that." Y'all, I promise you, and if you've been around Fairdale long enough, Ray Harris has not always been like that. Jesus has changed Ray Harris's life, not necessarily physically gotten rid of his cancer, not necessarily stopped the pain that's going on in the inside or the bleeding or anything else. But truly given life to his dead soul. And I see it. I see it. Jairus's daughter changed by Jesus. The woman with the blood changed by Jesus. The living church of Christ. Changed by Jesus. If you're here today and you know how much you need God's help. Would you believe in him? Ask him to forgive you of your sins. He'll change your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. That by believing in Christ. You'll make us well. You will forgive us of our sins. You will make us fit for heaven. You will change our perspective. You will give us peace. You will give us joy. You will cause us to not be bitter, not be upset, not think life's against us or life's unfair. We'll trust in your good hand, you as a loving Father. Father, I thank you for these two passages that are intertwined. In so many ways, God, we don't know why they go together, but they're always together. But I thank you for them. God, I thank you that in looking at our own lives and our testimonies, we can see how you've changed us. Lord, I pray that you would keep doing that. If we need to repent of our sins, Lord, lead us to that. If we need to humble ourselves and admit that we need your help, God, lead us to that. If we need to believe on Jesus today, empower us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.